2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Ha ha! Success! You made it in! I hear? Yeah!
0: <laughs> I'm trying to find something I can put my phone in. I'm like sitting in an office. I have to balance We have it. a
1: question. It says, what are some techniques you use to get your emotional brain to agree with your logic brain, especially when it comes to
0: relationships? Ooh, that's, to get the—that's
1: uh, a good—that's a good one. Uh,
0: to get the two to agree, like wise get,
1: mind, kind of. Yeah, I don't know if I get them to agree. It's more like they come to an understanding. I feel like it's uh, it's often like a conversation in my head between sort of yeah. the two different parts, and then when they come to an agreement, that's kind of like being in wise mind. Um. Because I don't know, sometimes my, you know, like I guess logically there there may be times where it's like in in a situation of conflict, the logical part of me might be like, well, this is more time and effort than it's worth. So just be done, right? Where the emotional side of me may be very attached to the situation. And so those two things just by default, they're not on the same page and coming to a,
0: what's the word, compromise? What's your Mm. answer? So the question was how to get your logical brain and your emotional brain to come to agreement about a relationship, was that it?
1: Mm.
0: Or just in general?
1: When it comes to relationships.
0: Hmm. I guess I spend a lot of time thinking and kind of, um, asking myself if I'm in wise mind, because if you do, you know, dialectic behavior therapy, there's this concept of your emotion brain and your, um, thinking brain coming together to form wise mind. And that's where you want to make decisions from. So I use some of those techniques like asking, um, am I in wise mind breathing in wise out mind? Um, Sometimes I'll write things down, like I did uh, like a pros and cons um, of the question that I'm asking myself or the action I'm thinking of taking. And then usually when you've had the same, like when your urges don't change, you know, and I'm saying when you feel like you're when I feel like I'm in my wise mind and I feel like I know what action I need to take. If I give it a little while, I continue feeling like that's the action I need to take. Like my I'm not going back and forth like I should do yeah. this, I shouldn't do this. I, I kind of come to a place where I'm like, no, I think I should do this, and I let it sit.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I have a lot of internal conversations with myself. I mean, just yeah. yesterday, I was in a situation where I was expecting to do one thing and then I ended up doing something else, and my emotional reaction, this is in the context of being people. You know my internal emotional reaction was like and it came out a little bit but i really wanted to be a brat and be like this is not what i was expecting i wanted to do this other thing i thought we were doing this other thing and now we're doing this and like in my head i had a conversation and was like no you know lashing out at people is not going to be an effective way to handle this you know it's important that you're able to adapt to things and that you are not mean to people just because things didn't go the way you expected them to. And it was just straight up a back and forth conversation in my head, sort of getting me to a place where I could be okay with the moment. Um oh, we have another oh sorry. This is my is, is that my, Casey? Yep.
2: <laughs>
0: Hi, how are
1: you?
2: If I'm if I may put in my two zones. About what? Logic mind and, and emotion
1: mind, yeah. Go for mind.
2: it. Don't just internalize it. Especially if you're dating. Communication between each other and bouncing it off mm, of that's is that's a good critical. one. It builds your relationship, builds trust. Um, and it can also help your partner learn about using their logic mind and emotion mind and how they can they can use that within the process as well. So
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think that I've done in the past is instead of being like, this is how I, how I feel like it is, is how it is. I I say like, I feel like this is what is happening. Um, and that sort of gives him the opening to almost like play the other side for me, especially if I'm really having a hard time. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. I don't know if there are any, but, um,
2: well I mean there's there's a situation we're going through right now with my mother and you're like let me get in there and be the bad guy for you and all that (laughs) yeah we've got all these emotions and we should you know maybe pound some people into sand but maybe not and you know where where is the boundary even though we're married she is part of the family but then you know, how much of her responsibility is, is dealing with family uh, related issues that are really outside from Zanny's actual sphere. And it's like, yeah. well, where is that boundary? So let's take our emotions, figure out where being the bad guy may be useful and, or not. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, use the logic mind to go, okay, where's the emotion mind fit? Well, and it's like, well, how about, when I'm dealing with the issues with my family, you console with me when I get home, and, and mm. we out how to how to do an emotional support network as opposed to you me know, just lashing out at people in good, anger. Good guy, bad guy, you know, kind of kind of deal. So yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. that's probably recent where you kind of bounce it off of each other and go, "I feel this way," "I want to help you this way," or "I I can come in," but you know. Then we talk about how we feel and what we may want to do and, and kind of blend the logic mind into the emotion mind and figure out the best course of action. Yeah.
1: yeah, go. All right, bye,
2: everybody. Bye, Georgia. Bye, bye Georgia. Casey. <laughs>
1: uh one of the questions was how do you tell someone also
2: bpd but sure the story these shirts are super awesome Get <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you one yes. of the questions was how do you tell someone that you're dating that you have bpd uh
0: i, just... I tell them very early on yeah, sure. i i tell them very I, well the people that i have dated since um i've been back in the dating world i tell them very early because i feel like it's a big because of the stigma surrounding it, um, I feel like if I'm not very open with it, I'm worried that it'll be seen as like I'm trying to hide something. And I know there's different opinions about this about like how soon you should tell somebody. I'm generally a pretty good gauge as to whether like I want to pursue something with someone. Mm-hmm. So if I have that feeling like, hey, this is a potential good match, I'm I'm open pretty early on, like, hey, this is what I have. Um here's some resources. I've had it for you know my whole life. I've been in treatment this long, um but I feel like that's good information to have up up front,
1: yeah, I think it de- it definitely depends. I've seen a lot of people have the approach of like, Ah, oh, I really want to wait until they know me because I don't want them to judge me based on that, and I think. I think that appro- that's a totally valid approach. I think for me, I, I told Casey on our first date, but I didn't use the words BPD. I said I have an emotion dysregulation disorder, which means that my emotions are more intense. They hit me faster, easier, stronger, and they tend to hang on longer than for the average person. And so uh, I'm working on finding ways to manage that. Uh, And I don't think, I don't remember when I used the words BPD, but for me, I think timing also, it depends a little bit where you are, like, in your life journey, because for me, Mm -hmm. it was like, I do not want to waste a second trying to figure something out with somebody who's not going to, like, be willing to be on this with me, because I don't have babies. I have only so many years to do that, so i i want to get on it so like that's the context for me it felt kind of more urgent so i think depending on where you are in your life that probably makes a difference um oh here's a good one surviving christmas slash the holidays with family tips uh i get triggered by my siblings and how they make me feel invisible so Georgette, what do you what do you think about this one
0: i don't spend the holidays with my family I don't spend the holidays with my family. Um yeah. yeah, I moved far away from my family. So this is I'm not the expert here because I haven't spent a Christmas with my family in I don't know how many years, but I don't know if that's an option <laughs> for others.
1: Not being a part of them. Yeah.
0: I mean you could like in any situation where you feel like you're going into a situation where there's a lot of potential um Oh, my mind's flipping like invalidation like if you're going into a situation and you feel like you know what this could be a really invalidating situation for me um i usually practice a lot of positive self-talk um i'll practice like positive um mantras before going into a situation in which i feel in i I anticipate feeling invalidated and then kind of limit my time in those situations like, you know, maybe you don't have to stay four hours. Maybe you stay two or take breaks and talk to yourself in a kind way. That would be my Yeah, suggestion. I think
1: knowing what your boundaries are before you go into a situation is really mm. helpful. Um, I I'm fortunate that I don't have a lot of really, like, overt stuff happening in my family, but there are some people who will make... Um kind of invalidating comments here and there, and I think it's it's one of those things where i before I go into a situation, I think about what I am willing to put up with and what I'm not, mm-hmm. so that as so that when I get and then then it's like when I get stuff that's sort of below the absolute boundary threshold, it's like I can cope ahead for how am I going to deal with some of these things, which might be positive self-talk or taking a break or you know you know things like Whatever. that um i like to have things to do with my hands so like having a cup of water or like a cookie or something i can just like be like oh i'm <laughs> very involved with in my glass of water right now I can't,
0: i'm awful. eating cookies you
1: know <laughs> this cookie is so interesting yeah yeah um, but then, but then, you know, the second, if somebody crosses a line, if you already know what that line is, then you can be like, all right, yeah. you know what? I,
0: uh, I have to take a walk.
1: I gotta take a walk. And, you know, I think having, having outs, um, you know, it's not, it like, we have two dogs. It is not untrue that we do have to get back at some point to take care of them. Um, and I may hop on that. I need to take care of the dog's train a little bit sooner then I might otherwise, you know, if somebody crosses that boundary.
0: Um, I like that you said cope ahead, because cause I think that does help, like, thinking about the situation that you're going to be in ahead of time and thinking up ways that you can kind of manage it is a good idea. Like, just thinking things through. And then also, like, the holidays are enough as it is. Like, this is not the time to confront people over you feeling in inval- Like, to, to me, I would feel like this is not the time where I'm going to try and tell people my true feelings or anything yeah. like that cuz it's like there's so much it's the holidays and all this so i would i would shy away from having any type of like confrontation or anything like it's not going to go well
1: yeah i mean i think for me it's less about the the holidays it's more like a lot of these situations you're in a group setting so mm-hmm. I would be nervous to call someone out in a group setting because I wouldn't want it to turn into like a taking sides thing. I feel or much a dog more pile dealing. Yeah, I feel much more comfortable dealing with conflict with someone one on one and that may not always be possible. So it might be if it's if it's something serious enough, I might pull someone aside like on a later date and be like, Hey, can we talk about what happened at such and such thing? But Uh, I think there are also some people in our lives who, you know, for better or worse, are kind of stuck in their ways. And um, in some of those instances, it may not be the most effective thing to call them out, even though it might be the right thing. Uh, So there are some people who I kind of just am like, you know, this is how you are. And I'm, I'm just going to kind of
0: that's one thing for me that's been really effective is realizing like this is just how these people or this person is and like yeah. that's how they are and I don't have the energy to try and change them.
1: Yeah. Um somebody asked a question. How do you deal with people's reaction to you telling them you have BPD? I told my mom and sister and they both laughed and asked if I have multiple personalities. I didn't know how to deal with that. It's interesting that you mentioned this because it wasn't someone close to me, but I was at a gathering once and mentioned, you know, since I, you know, have run the BPD bunch, like it's not really a secret that I have BPD. And like when people ask what you do for me, it's like, oh, well, uh, I have borderline personality disorder and I made a show about it, right? And somebody said, like, oh, like that's that multiple personality thing, right? And um, it was, In that particular situation, I was just like I just kind of was like, uh she ended up going on and on and on and on and I sort of politely excused myself from that conversation because it was clearly not going anywhere. Um but but I think I think if someone it's hard because it's like I think part of it is reading the room a little bit, right? Like, um and what I mean is do you get the sense that you can have a conversation with someone? Because If if it if someone laughed like maybe they were uncomfortable, you know, then I could have a conversation with. Well, you know, actually, it's this, and here here are the things about it. You know, being prepared to talk about what it actually is. Um, but if I got the sense that somebody was just you know gonna laugh at me, and it was not an uncomfortable laughter, but more like dismissive, like they don't want to hear about it, I would I would probably be like, all right. I don't know if you're the person I want to tell about this stuff. You know,
0: I tried
1: good luck with life.
0: Yeah. And that question is, it's hard because it sounded like you were telling your mother and your sister. So like a loved one. So um, that's that's hard. hard because that's a level of, I would think that that would be a level of invalidation that they're not like, but they might, they might also just might be a level of like ignorance, not ignorance in a negative way, but just like, they don't know what that is. So it could be a matter of like offering, maybe you need to like, in a moment when you feel really invalidated, that's not the place, you're not in the right place to like offer information, you kind of need to like self care for yourself. Um, But it might be like, maybe they need more information. Maybe these are people that just aren't going to be that supportive. Like I told my, my mom, my mom has a form of dementia, so she's just kind of like okay <laughs> to everything. <laughs> luckily, luckily yeah. she's positive. Um, but my dad was like, didn't want to know anything about it, just like didn't care. Not exactly denied it, but I also know like that's him. And I just kind of, all right, whatever, you know, just let it go. So it depends on the relationship you have with those people. But coming from when you're, it sounds like you told somebody who you were maybe looking for support too and then not getting that can be really like it's that invalidation yeah so yeah i mean
1: there. i think there's two parts to this part of it is how do you take care of yourself and your emotions and what do you say to the other person and i think um the order of priority there depends a little yeah. bit on what you feel like you can handle in that moment like if you feel really emotionally overwhelmed, then probably the first priority is trying to deal with that emotional reaction and not yeah. worry too much about what you're trying to say to somebody else because trying to overcome those emotions in that moment to communicate to somebody, in my experience, leads to
0: <laughs> it doesn't work. Very well. uh, <laughs> I'm
1: emotionally overwhelmed and um, doesn't really work out. And so I think figuring out which one of those is kind of the big issue. Uh, And then I think for me, explaining to people BPD from that emotion dysregulation piece um, and also talking about it from the perspective that it's not the emotion itself that is the problem but the fact that I am unable to effectively regulate my emotions means that I'm often reacting in ways that are not the most effective for the situation. Um, yeah. And really focus more on the behavioral side um, because I have made the mistake, I think, of of thinking about BPD too much as like, it is my emotions that are the problem. And then that leads people to like, if I'm crying at something small, they're like oh it's the bpd you know yeah. it's like that's not the bpd i i was born more emotionally sensitive like i just have big feelings those are not the big feelings themselves are not the problem it's my inability to be able to to regulate them those are at least in my head i think of those two yeah. separately so um Let's see. How do I become more confident in making decisions like leaving a relationship when I'm scared to let go?
0: Ooh, I saw this one pop up.
1: Yeah. Though this is a this is this is a great question, and I I feel like there's not like one answer because some decisions are hard to know whether it was A good one or not until after you eat it.
2: Um, Yeah,
1: but but I do think that, like in terms of leaving relationships, if you feel like you keep coming back to that, and you have good, clear reasons as to why. I think we'll just make it any, you know, generalize it to any decision. I think if, you, if you're if you always coming back to sort of the same place and the thing that's holding you back is a fear of pain, that's mm. when maybe it's worth thinking like, ah, I should make this decision. I mean, there are, leaving relationships is one that's hard to undo, but there are a lot of decisions where you make it and then you can be like, oh, maybe I want to go a different direction, right? um what do you think about making decisions in
0: Georgia I find that in terms of like a relationship I guess I'm assuming it's a romantic relationship I don't know but it could be a friend relationship um I I find pros and cons are important like writing things down so that I can see them and I also like feel like a lot of times when we're waffling about something it's because it's all up here we we probably haven't spoken it out loud um let alone written it so I find that like getting it out of my head helps because I think in your head it can kind of spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral so the act for me the act of writing things down in a pros and cons or even just just writing my thoughts down can really help because it it helps me kind of see them and see like if there's a pattern there, like you know, oh, I'm writing down a lot of unhappy thoughts. Maybe that's an indication that this relationship isn't working for me. Um, Also like looking at my values and like, does this relationship align with my values? Does staying in this relationship align with my values? Because if we're staying in a relationship because we're afraid to leave it, we're afraid for ourselves, right? We're afraid of pain, we're afraid of heartbreak, we're afraid maybe I've made the wrong decision, you know. But is it, is, is staying in it fair to the other person? Like what's their investment and how much are you hurting that other person by staying in a relationship that you, in your gut, you know, not, isn't working. So there's like a few different ways I think you can come at that. But for me, getting things out of my head and, and, um, onto paper, or even just speaking them out loud, like I'll call a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So it's,
1: this person, thank you so much for answering my question. It, it is a romantic relationship. He says he loves me, but isn't in love with me. It feels more like friends, and I'm scared to let go. I think that's I a I think he gave you your answer. Yeah. I mean, it's it, <laughs> like, kind of the. I love a lot of things. A little bit. I mean, I. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been in relationships where it's, you know, you're kind of just passing the time being next to each other rather than in a relationship. I do think the love versus in love is is a strange thing to say, because I That's do just think the way of yeah it it's it's odd because to me the 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 feeling the emotional feeling of love in a long term romantic relationship does change like yeah. like the butterflies and um that sort of like anxiety excitement that you get in the beginning eventually fades away when you get to be close and comfortable with someone because you're not nervous anymore you know and like and so that is i think this is just my guess so you know take this with a grain of salt but i feel like when people say i love you but i'm not in love with you what i take from that what they're saying is i care a lot about you but i don't care about being in a partnership with you anymore
0: that's a good way of putting it.
1: And, you know, this is one of those things where it would be a good idea to check that fact, ask the person, is that what this means when you say that? Like, what do you mean when you say mm. this? And that will probably give you your answer, because it's, I always, I'm not sure exactly what people mean. I mean, because love is not just a feeling. It's also your behavior, you know, having, yeah. The emotion of love by itself is just a strong emotional attachment. Without any kind of behavior, it's just the emotional attachment part. And that's, to me, that's an incomplete love.
0: Um, I kind of feel too, like, so I was married for almost 20 years. And I, I was, I never came to a point where I was like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Like that, the feeling of being in love stayed. And then my last relationship, same thing. And I think, I don't know, for me, if somebody says, like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, that would be a sign to me that, like, okay, well, maybe this is a person that I don't need to be romantically involved with because you also have to think of the opportunity cost, right? The time that you're spending with this person who quite clearly said, like, I love you, I'm not in love with you, you're losing opportunity to meet a person who will be in love with you. So it's like you're staying. For a sense of safety because it is scary to go out there and be single and to be on your own but at the same time you'll never you'll never get you're you're losing all of this opportunity to have something better
1: yeah and i think you know i i had a moment of clarity in a relationship i broke up with the person we were apart for six months and then i got lonely and went back and like convinced this person to be in a relationship with with me again and and he ended up dumping me Um, and eventually that was, that was how that relationship ended. And I think one of the things that I wish I had done was talk more to other people. I think it's important to have friends or, I mean, even if it's just your therapist, like someone who can remind you of what your wise minded decisions are. Um, because I was. I, we talked about this concept, um, I've talked about this with Georgette too, but we talked about this in an episode. And that was one of the things that Jay had said, was that like having people who can tell you like, yes, this is okay to make this decision. You don't need to go back to that. Uh, I think that that can be helpful because in the moments where the pain is intense, you can mm-hmm. convince yourself that yeah. no, I made the wrong choice. I need to go back. And it's like, I think pain it's pain and fear of pain have created some of the most vicious lies in my own head so
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah all right the next question is any tips for starting treatment i only got diagnosed a few months ago and i'm about to start scm treatment which is similar to dbt but less regimented i'm in the uk
0: well first of all i think that's amazing that you found treatment and that you're starting it because i think that, you know, that's like the first step. And that's very, uh, it's wonderful that you found that. I found that when I started treatment, I threw myself into it. I lived it, I breathed it, I, I, I was very motivated to be in it. And so I, I would print things up, you know, I would always do my homework. um, In dialectic behavior therapy, you have homework, I would, I would do my homework, I made sure I never missed a session, I just kind of took it. You know I was still working at the time, but I took that to be like my most important job, so I'd throw myself into it, take everything seriously. um I also found a lot of comfort on um Instagram, actually, like finding b p d accounts and we've talked about this any, how like you kind of go through a go through almost like a timeline like at first, I was following things that were. I really identified with like, oh yeah, BPD, like, yeah, I've done this, you know, I would have keyed your car, but I just started working on myself, which I still think is a hilarious meme. But, um, so I found, I found comfort through those things because I felt like I was, I had people that, that knew what I was feeling, like shared. Mm -hmm. Um, and then over time I started following less and less of that kind of content and more and more focused on recovery. But Throw yourself into your journey is my advice.
1: Yeah, I would say learn from my mistakes. Um, <laughs> one of the things, so I I used to believe this myth that a therapy that works just changes you. Like, and it's very weird because be, I say I believe this myth, and it wasn't like something I was consciously thinking. But I I've been in and out of therapy since I was thirteen, and I kept saying like, oh, this therapy doesn't work, and it was like. You know, if I really sat down and thought about it, I was kind of expecting to be able to show up somewhere, be given some mystical information, and I would just be like, oh, I get it. I can do it now. Like, expecting the therapy to change me. And I think there are a lot of people who will say certain therapies didn't work, and sometimes it's because, you know, it just wasn't a good fit. But other times and as was the case for me more often than not it was I was expecting the therapy to change me and not using the therapy as a tool to change myself. And I yeah. think unless unless you approach it as this is a tool that I can use on myself if if you're waiting for it to change you it it won't work. It won't work that way. Um and I think there are a lot of the other thing I would say is There are a lot of things in various therapies that you will learn and cognitively, the concepts will seem so simple. And there might be a part of you that goes, (laughs) man, if it was that easy, I would be fine already. And there's a cognitive error there. Simple doesn't mean easy. Just because a concept is easy to understand does not mean that it's easy to implement. Um, I, I am still (laughs) trying to, you know, up my mindfulness skills. And, you know, I have not qualified for a BPD diagnosis in like, what, four years? So, yeah. um, you know, I I just think that's an important sort of angle to kind of look at it. Because, um, gosh, I, I have no idea how much time I wasted just thinking that, therapy didn't work because there was no mystical thing that had just transformed me so yeah
0: yeah you have to do therapy gives you tools but you're doing all the work on yourself like you you can't just you don't get a participation grade just for showing up like you have to you have to turn in your work and
1: yeah yeah. I mean I almost got kicked out of dbt actually like full disclosure the I was in my second round of dbt and in the the beginning I was like oh it felt almost like magic a little bit at first, because there are some skills like um, dunking your face in ice water, where you're kind of using your own body chemistry to your own advantage. And some of those things felt almost like magic, and I was like, "Ooh, this is the thing I." But then some of the harder skills, like mindfulness, radical acceptance, you know, being all of those skills that require a lot more work i wasn't putting in work i was really mailing it in and my therapist bless her she called me out on it and she said it much more nicely than this but the conversation was basically you know if you don't start putting in the effort you're not going to get anything out of it and you know we would much rather spend our time serving someone who actually wants to do that work um and you know that. That was a hard conversation for her to navigate but she did it exactly the right time it delivered perfect it lit a fire under my butt and then i was like that was uh, oh yes okay (laughs) so i i get it it's like it it definitely is it's hard but um and it's not that dbt has to be your thing just to say but but any any
0: therapy Hmm? and any therapy anything you do you have to it's not it's not a magic pill it's a lot of work there any therapy you yeah. engage in bpd no BPD, and it's a lot of work it's a lot of personal work and it's hard work
1: yeah i think one of the things i like a lot of the skills that i hated in the beginning things like mindfulness and meditation i hated them because they made me uncomfortable and at mm-hmm. first i was like oh this is making me worse and then i realized oh this is forcing me to sit with the parts of myself that i'm avoiding And it it took me a long time to get to the point where I had the courage to sit with that part of myself.
0: Um, I think you have to learn like distress tolerance first for that kind of thing, because you're going to you're putting yourself in distress by sitting with those feelings and you kind of have to learn how to how to tolerate that first. Yeah. Usually, the first thing that people take to is like the distress tolerance stuff. I think they, you know, mindfulness is so important, but distress tolerance is like what you're using. I mean, I was like a distress tolerance expert because that's all I was using for quite a while before I could move out of that and go more into the other realms.
1: Yeah. So we had some other questions about how do you feel about calling BPD EUPD? I feel like the use of unstable sets it back so much. And someone else says, my therapist wants to see it relabeled as emotional intensity disorder. I agree I personally agree with the EUPD. Uh I don't
0: You agree that you of, shouldn't be using it because of the unstable or you I agree with
1: like, I don't I personally don't like the term unstable. Yeah um, because I Negative. Well, it's negative, but it also feels like, as somebody who come from can comes from like a family of scientists. Like when I think of unstable, I think of like an unstable sub- substance where you just touch it and it explodes, you know. And it's like, but the, BPD has very specific contexts, right? It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not just like I'm unstable about all things, you know. Each yeah. of us has things that set us off and things that don't. It's very context dependent and i i feel like that's an important thing that gets totally lost yeah. with unstable um emotional intensity disorder is better again i i like to focus on the dysregulation aspect like the regu- the the fact that it's a regulatory issue yes uh, yeah because because i don't like stigmatizing emotions um right I, I think in my personal opinion we should avoid uh stigmatizing emotions further but i i think it's it's always gonna you know renaming it to anything there's there's always going to be something that is challenging about it um because someone will have an interpretation of a word that you know i hadn't thought of so you know it's at some point it is what it is
0: i guess if you're in like the if what you experience is in the DSM, like it's a, it's, you know, society, people are considering that a, a deviance from normal. So there's really no, like, is there any positive way to frame things like that? It something that's viewed as a deviance from like, well, this is how most people do it and you're over here. So yeah. I think any kind of meme is always going to have some type of problematic, um, connotation. Well, it. labels
1: never going to fully encompass everything.
0: No. Right? No. So, I actually like starting to think of myself, especially when I learned about like the, you know, my brain is different. It's it's nature and nurture talking about um like a form of neurodivergence. I like that. I actually like that way of talking about it because it's 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 still like what is a divergence from, you know, quote unquote, the norm. But I feel like we are kind of more respectful of neurodivergence um, because it's a way of just saying like, well, you know, my brain works differently. Like this is my norm um, because my brain is different from your brain.
1: Yeah. Someone also asked earlier about managing finances because of impulsivity.
0: Oh my god, don't talk to me about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an interesting I feel like You, you know, have the wrong
0: people on the live. <laughs>
1: no, well, the reason I hesitated to answer it was just because like I'm not I don't feel like qualified to give anybody financial advice. Um but yeah. I think but I, I think in terms of like managing the symptom of impulsivity in general, because because people who struggle with the impulsivity symptom have different outlets, right? Like some people are going to, you know, have problems with spending and some people are going to have problems with reckless drive driving, whatever, you know, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. And I, one of the biggest things for me that's helped with impulsive urges in general is the 24 hour rule.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, That's good. Is
1: just, whether it's buying something starting something you know wait a day and see how i feel about it yeah in a day because if it's buying something you know most likely it's still going to be there yeah uh, and it'll
0: always still you be know there. if
1: it, if there's you know like I tend to impulsively get involved in a lot of projects because I have a lot of ideas and I want to do a bunch. of, And then then I end up with a ton of half finished things that I can't possibly commit to. So stuff like that too. It's like, okay, let me wait a day and not immediately say yes to something. Um, And, you know, I think anybody that comes to me with something and can't wait 24 hours to get my response, like whether I can commit to it is, probably
0: not somebody I want to work with anyway. No, no. I actually can say, so I, I've struggled with impulsiveness related to like finances. So like buying things and I can, so I can tell you the things I did to help curb it. It was, um, I took all my credit cards out of my wallet. I only carried one debit card. Um, I would put things into shopping carts, not, physically, but like put things online into shopping carts, but not buy them and tell myself like I can, but it's just going to sit here for a little bit, um, putting things into shopping carts. So I wouldn't buy them right away. And then I would go back and I'd be like, why did I need this again? Um, so that was helpful for me. And, and also like I took shopping apps off my phone that helped just things that force you to like, it's not so easy Just make the impulsive decision, like, oh, I have to go, like, I have to wait till I get home and get my card out. Um, deleted all my saved credit card information from different websites. Those things were practically helpful. Um and then, like, there was one time, this was within the last year, I think. I went to a pet store and uh I saw a beautiful, uh, it was a chameleon, but I kept calling it an iguana, and it was the most beautiful iguana that I'd ever seen in my life. Like it was gorgeous. It had like the most, I'd never see- I didn't even know you could buy chameleons. I thought they were like some super rare thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was ready to buy that chameleon. I was like, I'm going to get wallpaper. I'm going to put its cage like up to the wallpaper so it can match. I took pictures of it. Like I still have it on my camera. Roll. And I decided, you know what? The chameleon is going to be here tomorrow. Let me go home and i was so glad i did because i went to work the next day and i told my coworker, like oh my god i saw the most beautiful iguana or chameleon so i i I need it's like gonna be a most awesome pet it's gonna look so good in my living room i can change (laughs) out wallpaper and she was like oh my god georgia we just bought a chameleon you do not want a chameleon they're hard to take care of their their cage is horrible it's humidity it's this that and the other thing and i was like oh my i am so glad I did not buy a chameleon yesterday yeah so it was like i i left the store without my chameleon and then i was so happy i did so anything you can do to put space between yourself and that impulsive urge walking yeah. out of the store doing giving yourself that that time because impulsive you're like this you're not thinking it through fully those are the things that helped me
1: yeah now i watch we'll it when say, i go to pet stores yeah i mean i like i said i mean I, when i say i don't feel i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be like this is how you should manage your money but like yeah yeah because <laughs> i also have some of the impulsive challenges i think um i do the same thing putting stuff in the cart and not
0: yeah
1: checking out the other thing is i have never had a credit card with more than a 500 hundred dollar limit Ooh,
0: that's because
1: funny. i i never i just i just had a feeling that if i ever had a like a really high level credit card, then I would max it out at some point, convincing myself I'd pay it off and then not. Um, yeah. And, you know, that has made things a little bit more challenging because if I want to get something that's more expensive, I have to find a way to finance it like through a financial institution rather than like on a card. But um, that's been a safer move for me personally. Um, yeah and then you know even in the times when it was maxed out for several months i wasn't accruing
0: outrageous amounts of yes yeah anything with impulsivity putting yourself putting things in place that make you slow it down
1: yeah Yeah. I think it's especially hard with like smaller purchases because you convince yourself that, Oh, it's just five bucks or it's only a couple dollars. You're there. And then all of a sudden you're like, where did a hundred dollars go? Yeah. Uh, And I also have ADHD. So sometimes I have a hard time like thinking outside of the moment. It's like, I'm not well connected to the consequences of, of those decisions, but, um, I do like numbers. So, trying to remind myself that like spending a couple dollars every day, you know, 2 dollars a day for a month is still 60 bucks, right? So, yeah. um scaling that up in my head and reminding myself that I can't do this all the time. Um and then also like giving myself space to be impulsive. Like thrift shopping. If you Ooh, find it it's that. hard because some thrift shops are expensive, but that's one thing where it's like you bring a set amount of cash right don't let don't bring your cards set amount of cash and you can spend you allow yourself to spend all yeah of, you know, 25 right at the thrift store yeah so that, that's one way that i have of what myself kind of go a little crazy without going crazy you know yeah
0: i've done the same thing i love thrifting so Um, But I do the same thing. I'll say like, okay, I'm going into this store with X amount of dollars. That's all I have to spend. Um, Whatever store you like. Um, The other thing is, is that I keep like a spreadsheet of my budget. And Mm -hmm. so that I see, like, this is where my money's going. This is where it's supposed to be going. And that kind of, that helps me be like, oh, okay, like, maybe there's $400 in my bank account, but I need that for the next two weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. impulsivity is difficult, but a lot of these things can't, really can help. Waiting, learning to wait. I'm not very patient, but I try!
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> we all try. We all try. Just Sometimes space between I mean, the have urge. You seen
1: there What was that movie? That I mean, thing's in several movies, but like freezing your cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. have to melt them? I mean, if you got a real serious issue, then that's one thing you could do is I've never, I've never done that. But I mean, I think if I really was having a hard time, I would do that. Cause then you still have them in case of emergency, but you really have to like melt through that block of
0: ice. Yeah. Well, my problem was I memorized, I'm good at memorizing numbers. So I would like memorize the numbers. So,
1: Um,
0: but then like if a card got lost or something, they send you a new card. So I'd be like, okay, I'm not gonna memorize this number. Anything that puts space between the urge and the action.
1: Yeah. And this goes for all all impulsive behavior. You know, I mean, I think, you know, when I have a strong emotional reaction to something um, like with another person, sometimes mm. even like just taking a step back and being like, I'm not going to react to this right now. Um, yeah. Also be really helpful. Yeah. Rebecca says you can also do this electronically with an app. You, oh, the, like
0: control the spending? Like control your
1: finances? Pro- yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I there's a lot. Of, that's that is one thing. There's a lot of. I, as somebody who was like a child in the early 2000s, I always forget about this, but like any problem you have that's in the world, I mean, not all therapy problems, but a lot of like common issues like overspending yeah. or things. There's an app for that these days. <laughs>
0: Well there's also groups too. So like on Facebook I joined a uh, I think it's called Females and Finances group and you know it's p- people put things in there from like I just got $750,000 how should I invest it to like I can't pay my rent next month but so I like have that on my feed so I kind of see financial stuff and I'll, Sometimes the posts will be like how do I control I have a spending problem and then you have like 50 people say this is what I did. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So what she says is there are, there are apps or passwords. I think that's what that means that you can use that will allow you to like freeze your own cards. So you can't, Oh yeah. That
0: was one thing I actually did was I put a freeze on my own credit. Mm. I, I called like, you can call and say like, do not give this person credit. Like you can, you know, it's like an identity theft type thing, but you can just put that on. And it was for like a certain number of months that I wouldn't have been able to open a new account if I wanted to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's good to take that space. Um we have like 7 minutes if anybody has any last like burning questions. Now is your now is your opportunity. We're for anyone new who's joined, we're here answering BPD related questions. The most recent one was how do you deal with uh impulsive spending and having BPD? So, if anyone has any last burning questions, definitely let us know. Um did you have any thoughts about anything we've talked well while we wait for any potential questions do you have any thoughts about what we've talked about Uh, so
0: far well what did we talk about we talked about relationships yeah Yeah, we've talked about a lot of things we talked about relationships how to know when to leave them talked about impulsivity in general finances i feel like there was something oh starting therapy what's some good things to do on starting therapy i feel like i got it oh there's i can see one question i think zanna you can see the questions i don't know that i'm seeing yeah. everything
1: um how do you deal with feeling unloved by a partner who has asperger's i mean i that's not really a bpd question so i wouldn't really be able to tell you i mean in terms of feeling unloved in general I can answer
0: that but oh oh I see. So it's hard to...
1: uh it's hard to feel loved because of
0: It's hard to feel loved with BPD sometimes always like my husband didn't have Asperger's, but it didn't matter how many times he said, I loved you. I had this suspicion that he didn't because I felt worthless and was like, how can somebody love me because I feel worthless? So that came from me. Like I had to work on myself to feel worthy. The other thing I think could be helpful in, in a relationship is if you're not getting a need met using like a deer man form of asking for something might help because you're getting very clear like this is what I need from you um but I think if you're dealing with a partner who has another form of neurodivergence like Asperger's or autism which are they're kind of known for not being totally like I don't know how to say it like emotionally connected or like you know what I mean they kind of deal with
1: they express this struggle yeah differently and you know not I think that...
0: having it you you've got to have a really open talk, but you also have to know how how do you feel loved so like there you can go online and take the the five love languages, you can go on and take a quiz that'll tell you like these are my love languages, and then that gives you the tool to tell your and your partner's love languages might be different, so like the way I feel love is um words of affirmation and gifts, so I tend to use words of affirmation and gifts with my partner. That might not be that partner's love language. So I think learning each other's love languages and so you can, you can speak your partner's language and your partner can speak your language is probably really helpful because I, I would assume your partner does love you and they're trying to show you that, but they're, it's like they're speaking in one language and you speak another. So there's that disconnect.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm thinking about my own relationship with my husband who's he was on he was on here earlier. We you know, he's definitely not as emotionally expressive as I am. Um yeah. and you know, sometimes I think that I want a certain reaction from him that I don't get. And so I think you know, the communication is important and I also think that it's a balance between you know getting what you want and wanting what you get Mm -hmm. meaning that like well getting what you want and acceptance right that Mm -hmm. the that the person that you're with is imperfect and not always able to validate and love you in the way that you might want them to and that because that's true for every relationship like there are no people who like Perfectly love each other all the time, um, yeah. and so i think I think especially you know it's it's kind of like if you have b p d and you're in a relationship with anyone not as emotionally expressive as you are, it can feel imbalanced um and yeah and I think so like for me, for example, I learn to recognize that some of the things that my husband does for me like bringing me coffee or, you know, doing things around the house, stuff like that is him showing love for me, even if it's not always in a lovey-dovey way. I mean, he can be very lovey-dovey as well. Well, that's
0: that's acts of service. That's actually a love language. So that's mm -hmm. acts of service. And that might be his love language so he's speaking his love language to you but again like if that's not your love language you're like oh yeah thanks for the coffee but what I really need is to hear that I'm pretty you know what I mean like that's why I think those that love language thing I think is really um really useful and I lo- there's a free quiz online like it's free send you, emails you your results
1: yeah yeah but I think I think I guess what I'm saying is like, like even when you know that, like, head, like accepting that is important.
0: acceptance. That, that those
1: yeah. are there. Are there? Yeah. Um, because, and I and I think learning to validate and love yourself,
0: which well, is I think that's hard. number one. That's number <laughs> that's one. Very you hard. Can't feel that you can't get that from another person until you believe it about yourself. That's what was true for me. I had to spend time validating myself like learning to love myself so that when somebody told me they did i could hear that and believe them and take them at their word and appreciate that like i stopped being so suspicious because i knew like yeah i i am deserving of this but that that's a lot of inner work that you have to do in order to receive
1: yeah, I think also the less the less I wrap up my identity and value in how my husband is behaving towards me, I yeah. think then it's like, you know, if he doesn't have the exact reaction that I'm hoping for, it's not as big of a deal because it's like, it's not really about me. It's more about like him, right? So yeah. I think that that is... There's a lot of different ways to attack this, right? There's the, there's the self-acceptance part. There's the identity piece. There's the love languages aspect. Um,
0: the communication, like communica- you need to have an open communication. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's two o'clock and I hate to cut myself short, but. Yeah. My and lunch this is, is the over. End. This is, yep, we're done. We're done with it. Thank you, this everyone. This is so fun. And yeah. somebody said, VNL, I think, I don't know how to pronounce it. VNL said their love language is to um, like us and listen to our podcast. And so that's uh, awesome. That's a great love language.
1: Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. Um, if you missed any part of this, we will be uploading this the recording of this to YouTube and to Spotify. So, You'll be able to check out the rest of it. And thanks so much for hanging out. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.